This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. text is found today in Paul's writing to the church of Rome in the New Testament in the book of the 12th chapter we're going to be looking today at the first nine verses at 12th chapter all of God's word on today there in Rome 1 as we read and reads in this fashion therefore as a reasonable not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind, that ye may prove what and purpose of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Hate that which is evil. And cling to the good. As we speak this morning to the subject by any means necessary. Amen. By any means necessary. That phrase, by any means necessary, is a translation of a phrase that's actually used by a French intellect, Jean-Paul Sartre, in his play, Dirty Hands. It entered into a popular civil rights culture here in America through a speech that was given by Malcolm X uh, at the Board of Afro-American Unity found in June of 1964. What the phrase alludes to is the premise of leaving open all available tactics for achieving a desired end, even violence. The overarching theme of the phrase, however, uh, possessing the willingness out of one's comfort zone and into the realm of desperation to achieve an end relieved. Speaking of adamantly, the believers in the Roman church is, is to present prices for the cause of Christ. Now, Paul made no bone, very real pursuit of the sharing of the gospel yet went on to implore the believers in Rome to do it as an act of spiritual service in their lives. In the Paul's words are speaking to us as modern day believer priests, since that's what we've been speaking about this month on understanding our heritage. And it's speaking to us that our role is to understand to share the Christ throughout the world. It's not a service, foundational tenet of our God that we must really uphold. Have you ever had a, a moment where you knew you had to do something, but you just didn't feel like doing 
You knew something. You knew you had to address something. You knew you had to have that conversation that you knew wasn't going to be comfortable. You knew you had to, to do the thing that you know you're not good at. It has to be done. In that you're wrestling with or not doing that cross some point, desire goes out the window and will has to take over. When I'm at the gym and I, and I hit a point where I hit the wall, and I'll get to a point where I'm going past what I've ever what, what I've what in the past. And when I get to that point where I'm about to go past what I've done in the past, crossroad. Believe I can do it. I want to do it. I know it's going to be a struggle in my mind is in my mind once saying you can do this because the Bible tells you that, that, that you all strengthens you. But my flesh is saying, was that heavy before? Or your shoulder is sore. Or, you know, you've worked desires to do it. But 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 I have to override my, my, my desires to do has to override your want. And what happens with us but modern day believer priests miss out on the full complement and scope of what God desires to do in our lives because we fail to adopt this mindset by any means necessary. I used to laugh and they were making all kinds of noise and they were making all kinds of and they had heads don't take all that to go work out. But when I got more serious about what I was doing because for me it was about my health and staying alive, I realized I did whatever it took and then some. Far, far too often what we do is we get sidetracked from doing the work of ministry and doing the work that's associated with worshiping God as believers because we've been told by, by individuals that walk in religion, it don't take all that. You don't have to be that loud. You don't have to pray that much. It doesn't really take that much Bible study. It doesn't take the commitment to do this. It doesn't take the commitment to do that or to do the third. I'm here to submit to you that it does take that and then some because when we make up our minds that by any means necessary, we're going to do the work that God has given us to do. Time goes out the window. Effort goes out the window. What we look like goes out the window. What we sound like goes out the window because it's not about us anymore. It's about God. In my prayer time before I came in today to the sanctuary, my prayer was God take this vessel and empty it. Because if I take the vessel in its current state with the week that I've had, there's no way that I could be used by you because if you remember in the Levitical order of priesthood, it was based on qualifications. And the qualifications were basically that one had to be perfect, flawless, nothing wrong, nothing, nothing got nothing has them out of sorts. They fall short, they fell short rather because of sin. They fell short because of thoughts, words, and deeds that were performed in the vessel. We all fall short week in and week out. But under the new dispensation of grace, which is where we reside now as believer priests, because we have the position not because of our qualifications, but because of the prerequisite that we believe in Jesus Christ. God can come in through Christ and use us and cleanse us and wash us and place us. So I ask God, God, empty out all the stuff, empty out all the frustrations, empty out all the shortcomings, empty out all the issues at work, empty out all the physical stuff, empty out all the things that have separated me from you this week. And God, by any means necessary, I'm pressing my way to do your work. I don't care what people say. I don't care what people think. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. All I about God is you. This is the takeaway that God wants us to have from this message. As we come to know our heritage, we have to understand that we're kings and queens. We're king's kids. We are royalty. And as such, we have to carry ourselves as royalty. 
So our message here is, is, is admonishing us to, to faithfully spread the gospel in every way. Each and every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each and every one of us are uniquely equipped and qualified to do the work of ministry that God has called each of us to do, even where we are right now. But often we let stuff get in the way. But I'm here to let you know first that we faithfully spread the gospel in every way through our living. Amen. It's kind of hard to spread the good news if you're not alive to do it. Yet so many people tend to disqualify themselves. God, I'm of a certain age. I'm past a certain age. I, that I can't do this. I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't speak like I used to. I can't used to. If your brain still works and you still have your motor functions and God has given you co your capacities, you can make a difference. You can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. In our text, Paul is urging the Romans to live in a way that lifts up the name of Jesus by offering their lives to him to navigate. If you can do that, because that's a matter of will, that's will overriding want. God, I don't want to get up and witness to nobody today because I'm hurting. God, I don't want to read your word today because I'm upset. God, I don't want to fellowship with your people because a few of the people over there that you sent me to fellowship with did me dirty last week. But it's not about what I want. God, your will is for me to lift you up because you said in your word that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men and women unto me. Your will is for me to do the lifting. So God, you navigate me on how to lift and, and when to lift and, and, and what to lift. My son is a personal trainer and his job is to tell people how to lift weight and how to do things in such a way so that it benefits them. And the benefit doesn't happen immediately. In fact, when you're actually doing it, it's uncomfortable and you really don't feel any different other than tired when you finish. But oh, when day one and day two comes after you finish that workout, if you did it right, there's pain. And the pain comes because the gains are coming. Hence the saying, no pain, no gain. We gained the kingdom. We gained the right to become New Testament believer priests by the pain that Christ suffered six hours one Friday. And what Paul is urging us to do is allow God to navigate our lives. Because if he, if he can navigate his son through everything his son went through for us and brought him back to the place of prominence and the place of promise and the place of prophecy to intercede for us, surely he can take our situations and navigate us through them to give him glory. But here's the payoff. By allowing God to do so, Paul let the Romans know that their eyes were going to be opened to the true meaning of life, which is to serve God, to be fruitful, and multiply, multiply, excuse me, which is the essence of the role of new dispensation believer priests. But above and beyond that, it's a fulfilling of the original mandate that God gave to you and I when he created us. Remember back in Genesis we talked about, let us create man in our image and, and our likeness and let us give him dominion over the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea. And <clears throat> after man was created, God gave a direct order 
be fruitful and multiply. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Your job is to be fruitful and to multiply. Why? Because in being fruitful and in multiplying, you're giving me glory. You're being a reflection of what I do. All I do, <coughs> excuse me, all I do is win. That's what I do, God says. I win and I win and I win. And I want you to win like I win because as you win, it's a reflection of me. I have a family of winners. We're royalty. So because we're royalty, if you allow me to navigate your life, God says, what I will do is bring you to a point of victory in your life, not for your glory, but for my glory, so that through your living, you can draw others into the family. You know how it is when you find a long-lost brother or a long-lost sister or a long-lost member of your family? You want to bring them in. There's so, much, you, you, there's so much joy that they're there, especially if you find them and they're kind of uh, down and out. You find them and you, you want to embrace them and you want to share with them everything the family has and you want to get them all caught up. That's what God desires to do. That's what God desires us to do. He uses us to go forth and to go out and do these things. He has no other hands but ours. He has no other feet but ours. He has no other eyes or ears or voice in the earth but ours. But unfortunately, many believer priests today are more concerned with showing up big in the arenas of man instead of showing God's enormity in the lives of mankind. Let me say that again. Many times what happens is that we get so caught up in looking good on TV or looking or sounding good on the radio or our spreadsheet looking great, we get so caught up in that that we forget that the reason why we function, the reason why we exist, is to be a blessing to other people. I tell my employees that all the time at work. And I said it one time to a customer, and the customer was absolutely astounded that I held this philosophy. I said that the customer came in and said, you know, your people here are so nice, and we thank you for that. I said, sir, it's not a problem. If, if we didn't have customers, we wouldn't be here. We'd have no position if, there was, if it wasn't for you. And he's like, wow, I've never heard a leader say that. I said, yeah, because were you not here and were there not a need, there'd be no need for me. If you didn't need something, there'd be no need for me to be here to meet your need. Far too often we get so caught up in pleasing ourselves that we forget that there's a need out there. And God has need of us to help fulfill that need. God has need of us to go out and let people know that there's a better way. God has need of us to go out and show people that there's a better way through our living. God has need of us to do as it says here in verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He uses us as the proof. 
he uses our lives as the evidence. We think sometimes, God, I, I can't go out there and do what you tell me to do. I don't know what to say. You know what you say? You don't say anything. You go out there and let your life do the talking for you. If you're living in such a fashion where it says in verse 2, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind is where the change begins. If your mind has been changed, your actions will be changed. When we do our trainings at work, we, we work on the behaviors of our employees in order to change the performance. If the performance isn't where it should be, we don't start shifting around stuff. We don't start moving around stuff in the store. We start with the behaviors. We start with the mindset. If we can get your mindset on what it is that needs to be done, we can change your behaviors. Because whatever our minds are set on, that's where the rest of us follows. The Bible uh, put, puts it this way. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. We have to understand and realize that it's mind over matter. Whatever we set our mind on, that's what matters. But far too often our minds are set on the things outside of God. The mind, our minds are set on satisfying, satisfying this flesh instead of fulfilling the mandate that God has given us to make a difference in the lives of others. If we can remember to think, as the word says, on those things that are pure and that are lovely, and that are praiseworthy, and that are of good report, and that are pleasing to God, if we can keep that in the forefront of our mind, and let the same mind that was in Christ abide and dwell in us, our lives will be transformed in such a way so that people will look at our lives, and we won't have to say anything, they'll come to us. Man, what is it about you that every time I see you, you're smiling every time I see you, you're upbeat. No matter what's going on all around you, it seems like blessings seem to follow you and overtake you every single day. I don't understand. Tell me, what's your secret? And we can quote the song, it is no secret what God can do because what he's done for other people, me included, guess what? He'll do for you. But you have to realize that it's a mindset. So, as, as, as so, so we, what, we must therefore remember whose we are and live our lives to lift him up by any means necessary. Amen. We have to remember that we don't belong to ourselves. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Know you not that you're not your own, but you've been instead bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. We're on lease. And at being on lease, we got to make sure that we do everything in such a way so that it's not in lockstep with the world. But instead, it's in lockstep with God so that the world can see that there's something unique about us. Here's the word again. There's something peculiar about us. And that's supposed to be the case because we are a peculiar people. We are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. We are somebody. And because we are somebody, we have to function and act as such. It says in 1 John 2, Verses 15 through 17 to drive this point home. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And here's the payoff. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. 
but he that does the will of God abides forever. In other words, we've got to be doing God's will by any means necessary. We gotta worship God like I was taught growing up in church. You praise God and worship him on two occasions, when you feel like it and when you don't. More so when you don't than when you do. So we have to allow our will to override our want. Our will to fellowship with God override our want to sleep that extra 15 minutes. Our will to do God's will to override our want to be angry and to be mean. We've got to do this by any means necessary. We've got to become radicalized as it pertains to our worship and our walk because everything that we do is an aspect of worship. Not only our living, which is our first point, but secondly, also our learning. If you're here and you think that you stopped learning after high school or after college and you feel that you've not learned anything else, that's a problem. My parents taught me a long time ago that the moment you stop learning um, and, and you're not dead, you become dangerous. Because that means that pride has now filled space where understanding is supposed to occupy. Look at what it says here, beginning with verse 3. In this verse 3 through 8, because the largest section of what we do as believer priests in the cycle of adaptation, acquisition, and learning is learning. Learning is the biggest portion. Beginning with verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So right there is letting us know that our mindset has to be such where we can't, it's not about us. We can't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We've got to get into receive mode and not be into give mode because God desires to give to us so that we have something to give to other people. But it goes further. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office or function. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Which means we're, we're joint. We're all in this together. We're one team. But we all have many different positions. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministry or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts or encourages on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, these are all classes. When I read this, I thought about high school. And in high school, I had seven hours every day. And those seven hours every day in January were the hardest seven hours for me to get started because getting up at six o'clock in the morning at 15 years old and it's dark outside, it's cold outside, and you're in a nice warm bed, that's hard to do. But I had to do it because in order for me to get that degree, we talked about degrees about a week or two ago, in order for me to get that degree so that I can move on to the next level of education, my will had to override my want, want to stay in that bed and, and stay asleep. But when I got to school, I had all these classes I had to do. I had to do math, I had to do communication, I had to do English, had to do world history. And I'm like, I don't understand. Why do I need all this stuff? I had to do auto shop. I'm like, why do I need these classes? I have no idea why I'm taking these classes. I would much rather be at home sleeping. But here's the thing. I was not being taught for right then and right there. 
I was being for life and I wasn't being taught just one thing. I was being exposed to many different facets of life, more a bunch of seasons that are strung together. And I might have to be mechanically inclined in one season. And I might have to understand history in one season. And I might have to be analytical and know math in another season. And I might have to be able to project and orate what's being said in another season. And I may have to know how to relate to people in another season. I might have to be physically fit in another season. All these different classes were designed to make me well-rounded so that I will be effective in life and when we go through the learning phases of life in our seasons God is doing the same thing for us spiritually because he doesn't want us just single-minded and single-purpose he needs us multifaceted and well-rounded to deal with everything we said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me if I'm saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and Christ is trying to give me an understanding of an area that I don't have an understanding in but we're not receptive to it We've just voided the word. And the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word comes back void. Which means either we get to do it voluntarily or he's involuntarily going to put it in us. And Paul here is letting us know that it's much more beneficial for us to do it voluntarily. Because he goes on to elaborate on the practical nature of the new dispensation of, believer, of a believer priest in their role. Throughout the examples listed here, the core run-through line is one of understanding. Paul's message to us today is to use every opportunity that presents itself in life as a chance to introduce Christ to others through showing others our work and our discovery that Christ is indeed the answer to all things. When I was in high school, many of you probably don't think that this is standard operating procedure, but it shows you how times change. When I was in high school, we have calculators, and we do algebra. They, they, we, we can multiply and divide. You know how algebra works. I hated algebra. Math was my worst subject. It really was. And ironically, math is my worst subject. What do I do? Work with numbers all day. Go figure. And we used to be able to use calculators, the calculators with scientific notation to find roots of stuff and, and exp exponents of stuff and this and that. But every now and then, what our teacher would do is he'd have us solve problems and, and, and the math teacher would say, you can use your calculator to help you in the assignments. Catch this. But in the test, when test time comes, I need you to put the calculators down because I want you to show your work as you complete the problem. And I hated that. Because when I had to show my work, what that meant was I couldn't rely on pushing the little buttons in and letting the machine do the deciding for me. What I had to do was show my work, and in showing my work, that means that I had to show my teacher, catch this, that I understood the work that was being placed before me to do. Many times I struggled with that because I relied so heavy on the calculator that I just let the calculator do the work. But I had to realize that I had to study to show myself approved to the teacher so that he knew that I understood what was going on because he knew that if I didn't get it at this level, when I got to the next level, I'd be absolutely lost because math, as I tell my, my sons, math, just like English and just like writing, build upon what you previously learned. But it took me to my junior year of high school to realize that the stuff I learned back in second grade that I thought I'd never use, one plus one is two, had I not learned that, I wouldn't be able to show my work in the algebraic functions that I was having to complete. 
It works the same way in the spirit. What happens is we get so caught up uh, on thinking that the elementary things, do unto others, you have them do unto do, okay, do unto you, okay, I understand. That's, that's common sense. Well, can I tell you something? My dad always taught me, common sense ain't so common. <laughs> and far too many of us as believers opt to use the cliff notes of shared experiences of others is their life mantra instead of allowing their experiences with God to be their best true teacher. Again, I'm dating myself. If you don't know what cliff notes are, cliff notes were a beautiful thing when I was in school. I read, I had to read the Odyssey, Homer's book, The Odyssey. And the Odyssey was about four or 500 pages long. It was just ridiculously long. And I did read it. But the problem was, and this is what a lot of us as believers do. The problem was, I didn't read it for understanding. I read it so that I wouldn't be a liar if the teacher asked me, did you read the book? I just ran through the book just to say my eyes laid, my, my eyes laid vision on every single word in the book. But if you asked me to tell you about the book, all I could tell you about is there was some guy named, named, named uh, Telemachus in it, and there was something about an era where a whole bunch of people died. That's all I could tell you. Well, that wasn't enough, needless to say, to pass a test in English. So what I decided to do, being the brilliant person that I was, was listen to one of my buddies and say, hey, man, look, you don't have to read all those pages. You can go get this little yellow book. It's called Cliff's Notes. And, and this dude named Cliff read the book, and he made notes. And he put the notes in the book so you can take the Cliff's Notes, and you can write your report from it. I said, cool. So I did that. And guess what I got on the paper? I got an F. You know why I got an F? Because the teacher had read the Cliff's Notes, too. <laughs> And the teacher knew that the thoughts that I had, catch this, the thoughts that I had were not my thoughts. So because I wasn't showing my work, but I was showing Cliff's work, the teacher gave me an F because it wasn't about me checking the boxes, church. It was about me gaining understanding and being able to take that understanding and translate it to somebody else. Far too many of us check the boxes concerning our worship. We do it on Sunday because, well, okay, God, I'm a good Christian. I came to church on Sunday. Okay, but what did you learn? What are you sharing with other people Monday through Saturday? And we find ourselves sorely lacking in that area. Many of us, like it says here, we take the cliff notes of other people's experiences, of other people's testimonies, but it's our personal experiences that move the needle for people as it pertains to God. Every person has what I call a BS monitor built in. You know when somebody's telling you the truth and you know when somebody's running you some BS. <laughs> and just to let you all know, BS in what I'm saying is but seriously. They'll say something to you, yeah, man, I was outside and I, when I was outside, I just came in about two minutes ago and I had my swim trunks on before I came in here to start ministering to you and you're looking at me like, but seriously though, it's like, 45 degrees outside. You don't. You didn't have swim trunks on out there. Yeah, man, I just came through the patio door here, and the unicorn just dropped me off, and I walked in. But seriously, I just walked. I just saw you walk in from that door over there. That's what I mean. The BS meter. We all got one of those. And the BS meter's there because all of us want what we're given to line up with some measure of understanding, even if that understanding rubric we gotta put it in is faith, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen, but all of us have a but seriously meter, and if it just does not make any sense at all, we're like, but seriously, 
I know God can and I know God will, but I also know that God functions in some measure of sense and God's not going to. Our spirit is that BS meter on the spirit realm. God is never going to do anything while he'll do things to disrupt our spirit and shake our spirit to bring us into conformity with him. Once we're in conformity with him, he's not going to take chaos and confusion to bring about conformity because the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. When that happens, we're trying to take the cliff notes of my brother's experience, my sister's experience, my mom's experience, the experience of somebody I heard on TV last week, a testimony I read 10 minutes before I came in, and we're trying to tie all that together and call it our experience, and, and, and people are looking at us like, but, but seriously, that don't even sound like you. You're given the experience of a 25-year-old um, Italian girl. You're not Italian, and you're not 25, and you're not a girl. Our thoughts have to be God-centered and God-oriented. Because God said that my ways are far above your ways. My thoughts far above your thoughts. I've given to each and every one of you the measure of faith, not a measure of faith, the measure of faith, meaning I've given you just what you need to do what needs to be done. And all you have to do is spend time with me. It's kind of like the Liberty commercial. Y'all y'all have seen the Liberty commercial with the emu in it, right? The, the big, yeah. You only pay for what you need. Many times we're not willing to pay the price of prayer and study and fellowship with God to get what we need, but instead we see somebody else is doing it. Well, I'll just glean a little bit off of him because they're praying. God knows my heart. That's the most dangerous phrase that believers have come up with in the world. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. That's why he's saying to pray without ceasing because God knows our heart. Because he knows our very best with nothing more than filthy rags. So as a result, we have to graduate and share our life lessons to educate others by any means necessary. When I finally got up off my duff and actually sat down and really read the book for content and understanding, and quick side note, don't ever, ever, ever read the Odyssey twice, because reading it once is a chore, reading it twice is just cruel and, un and, and inhumane punishment. But I brought it on myself. But when I read it for understanding the second time, and I turned that paper in a second time, I got a much better grade. I didn't get the A grade because it was late, but I got a much better grade because the teacher put in the comments, see what happens when you take the time to gain understanding. And that resonates then, now as then, because the Bible says, wisdom is a principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all of your getting, get understanding. Wisdom cannot happen until you have an understanding. God desires us to gain an understanding of who he is so that we can become wise in our dealings, and as we become even more wise in our dealings, we can draw more men and women unto, uh, unto him. So we have to graduate and share our life lessons to educate others by any means necessary. This is something that you can do. There is no such thing as a non-traditional age in learning in God. If you're alive, you, you fit the qualification. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. You fit the qualification. God wants us to continue learning by any means necessary. When I, went, when I went back to school and got my master's degree, I didn't go back to a traditional brick and mortar school. I did it online. Why? Because my life in that season would not allow me to go to a brick and mortar facility, but my desire, my will, to get that next stage of education 
overrode my want to just give up. And I pressed my way through. And by God's grace, got it done. The word says it this way in Acts. Verse 20, and, uh, chapter 20, rather than verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. To feed the church of God. It doesn't say, it doesn't say a time span. It doesn't say to feed the church of God on Sundays between 10 and 12. This is something that's ongoing all day, every day, 24-7. We have to be all things to all people and understand that the work that we do is divine work that must be done. Amen. Amen. So not only must we do it with our living and our learning, but lastly and more importantly, we have to faithfully spread the gospel in every way through our loving. Amen. We have to realize and understand that God is love. And because God is love, we have to love in a way that befits and pleases God. Now, in our text, Paul leaves the Romans with the call to action of operating in their office as new dispensation believer priests in a spirit of love. Now, like Christ, these new age ambassadors were filled with the agape love of Christ, to look beyond the shortcomings of those that are lost in order to identify their spiritual need for salvation. God desires, desires us to have x-ray, he desires us to have long-term x-ray vision. What do I mean by that? God desires us to be able to look past the faults of others and see the heart of the individual. And desires us to realize it's a long-term proposition. We may not see the change right now, but he wants us to take right now action to bring about change in other people. But what happens is that many of today's believer priests get seduced by the, the morals and ways of the world. And what that results in is loveless ministry that checks the religious box like I've been talking about earlier today instead of eternally changing lives through encouraging others to establish a relationship with Christ. In other words, we do it because we feel we have to. We're not doing it because we want to. Christ did what he did. He didn't, let's, let's, let's back up. <coughs> Excuse me. Christ did what he did because he loved us so much. He felt he had to because his passion drove him to do it. When you have a passion for something, your definition of that passion becomes something that you have to do. I let my fiance know every day that I love her and I told her, I said, I'm never going to let a day go by that I don't tell you that I love you. I need you to know that because every time I do that, that's sowing a seed and that's nurturing you. My parents taught me to live each day like it's your last because one day you're gonna be right. So I don't ever want a day to go by where she does not know how I feel about her. I never want a day to go by that she has to even have an inkling of doubt of my love for her because that's important because I made the conscious decision to give the very best of everything to her even if it costs everything for me. That's what Jesus did. Jesus made the conscious choice and decision. He saw what was going on. He literally had a ringside seat in heaven on his throne. He saw the mayhem that was happening down here. He saw the chaos and confusion that was happening down here. And he had a choice. 
and he chose to go. They were talking about what needs to be done. They were talking in heaven about how do we fix this? And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll take my divinity off. I'll go. I'll go because it has to be done. It has to be done because I love them so much because we put our hands on them, Father. We created them in our image. We created them in our likeness. We created them for a purpose. We created them for a plan. And right now the plan is off the rails. So I'm going down there to show them that it can be done. I'm going down there to bring about a change and to make a difference. I'm going down there because it has to be done. When you have a passion for something, nothing stands in your way of getting it done. The Bible puts it this way. Death, life, things present, things to come, nothing high, nothing wide, nothing will separate me from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Nothing's gonna stop me from getting there. No mountain's gonna be high enough, no valley's gonna be low enough, no situation's gonna keep me from doing what God has mandated me to do to be a blessing to the individuals that he's led me to be a blessing to. Because my life is not mine. I'm literally on least time. I'm a least vessel on granted time by grace. So there's no way for me to do what I want to do because nothing that I have is mine anyway. So if it's not mine, I have to treat it at a level that is commensurate with the individual that's given it to me. Which means I've got to live and carry myself in a way that pleases God. And in doing so, in pleasing God, I have to be a blessing to God's people. And it becomes a passion. And the love that we have transcends logic, it transcends reason, it transcends understanding of people, but what it does is it reaches them in the innermost parts of their being and it moves them to change. It moves them to do something different. It moves them to function and respond in a different way. When we love people the way that Christ loves us, it moves them and it changes them. God desires us to be change agents in the earth. He desires us to be change agents to make a difference in the lives of others. So we must clearly and consistently love others as Christ loves us by any means necessary. Amen? By any means necessary. Whatever that love looks like, whatever, that, whatever form that love takes, that's how we love. Because as long as we're loving the way the Word says we're to love, it's going to be in order with what God's will is for our lives. But we're meeting people where they are. There's a book that my fiance and I refer to a lot. It's called The Five Love Languages. And there are five basic love languages and the key to being a success is to understand the five love languages and how to speak the five love languages. And like people are fluent with natural languages, being fluent in love languages is tremendous because when you can speak a person's love language, you can tap into the essence of who that person is. Me, I'm a touchy-feely person. I like physical touch. I, I'm, I'm a hand holder. I'm, I'm a sentimentalist. I'm, I'm the person that people laugh at when they talk about, I like long walks on the beach and this and that. That's me. That's who I am. My, my, my fiance, she's, she's an acts of service person. She, she's, a, she's a busy woman. She does all kinds of stuff. So the little things matter to her. If you, 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 you can do something service related and, and you can touch her heart. But there are other people that are driven by different things and the key is to become adept in speaking all the love languages and in and of ourselves, we can't do that. But if, like Christ, we have the passion to say, I'm going to learn how to do it because it has to be done. Because it's not about me, God, it's about you. And it's about you because it's about them. 
So I'm going to learn how to speak whatever language I need to learn to make a difference in your life because God loves us enough that he wants to touch everybody and he wants everybody to be saved. We have a heritage that we have to spread. We have a heritage we have to share. And a lot of people don't understand and realize who we are. We're royalty. And as such, not only must we carry ourselves as royalty, but we've got to love and live as the royalty, as the royal lineage that we are part of, teach to love and live, and that's unconditionally. So we have to clearly and consistently love others as Christ loves by any means necessary, and I close this series with this verse that we all know, this passage of scripture that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God's desire is to save this world, is to save each and every person in this world. He, de he desires that no one go to hell, but that everyone make it into heaven. Yet hell is being expanded daily to accommodate the people that are winding up there. What does that mean? That means that you and I have work to do. We have a story to tell. We have a heritage to explain. But more importantly, we have a, an example to live up to because we have a God to glorify and a charge to keep. So let's charge forward and do what God has given us to do, to be the believer priests that he's created us to be and to win souls for the kingdom by any means necessary. Amen. We thank him. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.